At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And I cannot tell you how many people have tagged us in the news that Owen Wilson is going to be in the new Disney Plus Loki series. How many notifications have you gotten for that so far? Because I've gotten like at least 12. (laughs) A lot. Yeah. And I haven't even counted the ones like on the Cryptid Keeper account. Yeah. And people put it in the Facebook group too. Friends, it's wild out here. What a time to be alive. January 2020 has felt like it has taken a literal year, but you know what? It must have been a good year because this news is, is heralding us into the next one. So we'll take it. And we're here. We're in one piece. We're doing it. Yeah, somehow, despite all odds. In spite of everything. Truly. Um, I am the keeper of this week's cryptid. You are the keeper of this week's cryptid. I have. And I have brought with me a small friend. In fact, very many friends. An entire uh, oh. a, 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 a group of friends. A, a mishap of friends is, I think, maybe what the name for this sort of herd dynamic would be if I were to pitch one, because I don't think that one currently exists. Yes. And that, Addison, would be gremlins. You are familiar with gremlins, yes? Did you say gremlins? Gremlins. Oh my god. I I mean, I'm familiar with with their film career. I, uh... (laughs) Yeah, I did... I wanted to do this one and then I considered like maybe I should save it for next Christmas because Gremlins is technically a Christmas film. But it is a very dark Christmas film. Oh, it certainly is. Um, but then I thought, you know, time's not real, so mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't matter at all anyway. Um, also, I didn't know about the Christmas film aspects of Gremlins until I was an adult because when I used to watch that movie with my parents as a child, they would skip that part where they reveal the like really sad backstory about the dad yeah, and the Santa thing. because it's the most thing. horrifying part of the story. Yes, and I was a child. So they would skip that part. So it was one of those things similarly to watching the movie Adam's Family Values as an adult and seeing like a couple spicy scenes that my parents used to uh, skip through. I I just didn't realize how sad of a movie Gremlins is until I revisited it as an adult. Yeah, I have not um, rewatched Gremlins in quite a time. It was one of those movies that came on at some point when I was a kid and I feel like my father who had a very poor sense of what media was appropriate for children um, was probably like oh this is a classic you should come see this and I as a child was extremely averse to any even remotely frightening media so it was like even worse Um, so I just remember like seeing most of Gremlins and being like this is not what I signed up for uh, so it's been quite some time, but yes, I am aware that the uh, the Christmas elements of it are deeply troubling. I would probably enjoy it now if I went back to it, but suffice it to say that uh, gremlins as a creature uh, have a storied history outside of their film appearance, yes. although they actually have maybe one of the strongest holds on 
pop culture media of any cryptid that we've discussed. It's really quite interesting. I have a sense of kinship with gremlins as someone who often uses that word to describe myself when I'm feeling somewhat feral or when I am feeling somewhat just like I don't. We have we all cope with different things in different ways. Mm-hmm. And as someone who moved to Los Angeles and often does not feel a part of certain aspects of this city, <laughs> I tend to describe myself as like, just a little gremlin, just a little gremlin out here in the city. And I don't mean it in a self-deprecating way, although it's like lightly self-deprecating. It's more just like, that's like my little, like, that's like, I'm doing little like gremlin hands. If you can imagine what little gremlin hands look like as I say <laughs> I this. I can indeed. I'm a little gremlin in the city. Maybe we can learn you some things about gremlins today that you can take with you um, and use to empower your concept of the gremlin Thank and you. the self. And, <laughs> the uh, gremlin and the self. Hopefully we can use this as a transformative experience. I'd love that. What do you know about gremlins in folklore and mythology? Outside of their, you know, big screen debut, do you know anything about gremlins? Mischief, like troublemakers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're like little little guys. Little guys, yeah. That, um, if I'm not mistaken, there's and this is obviously going to be more recent, but there's an association with them messing up technology. Mm-hmm. Yep. So very <laughs> specifically, the the major foothold that gremlins have in folklore uh, specifically came about as a result of like World War One era aviation. Gremlins were blamed for all manner of Stop. aircraft incidents. Yeah, it's really kind of a fascinating thing. So the history of it is somewhat uncertain. If you check certain sources, they will tell you that gremlins were totally an invention of that time period. Mm-hmm. If you check other sources, they will tell you that it dates back to like Grimm's fairy tales and a much, much older folkloric history that then just garnered that association and evolved at that point. Um, some people will tell you there have been actual sightings and like experiences that cannot otherwise be explained. Other people will tell you that anybody who referred to gremlins knew all along that it was sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek, you know, creation. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of unclear and very interesting. I am going to, for the sake of this episode and the sake of all episodes of this show, treat every source as fact. So yes. um, just bear in mind that when I am relaying information to you, this is not necessarily information that I am endorsing as correct. We are just looking at the sources that I have found and we are operating and drawing conclusions under the assumption that this information is correct. We're giving them the benefit of the doubt. We're giving them the benefit of the doubt, and we are crafting our argument based on the synthesis of the information that is available to us, um, and not on any degree of, you know, deeper fact-finding or or truth-seeking. Right. <laughs> um, the unlie is somewhere in the distance, but it may not be here. We're not here to get to the bottom of gremlins. Right. So an interesting thing is if you look up gremlins, one of the sources you can uh, get yourself to is villains.fandom.com. Yeah! Which is a general <laughs> fandom wiki uh, just for villains, not the villains of any specific series or any specific genre, just villains in general, anyone who is villainous. And they're all sort of categorized under the same weird taxonomy. We so uh, full name, Gremlins, alias, Nun, Origin, English Military Urban Legend, Homeworld, Earth, Abilities, Sabotage, Advanced Intelligence, Machinery Expertise and Craftsmanship, Tool Proficiency, Small Size Enabling Elusiveness. 
and telepathy purported. <laughs> telepathy? <laughs> Villain's fandom wiki is not willing to uh, take a hard stance on that one. Okay, fair. Hobby, causing malfunctions in machinery. Goals, sabotage machines made by humans for their ungratefulness. And then <laughs> it has my favorite part of this whole thing, which is a section called crimes. <laughs> And that just lists sabotage as well as multiple acts of manslaughter. Oh, my God. <laughs> Truly wild. Uh, Listen, it's, it's not funny that their actions have apparently led to deaths. It is really funny that the gremlins have done multiple counts of manslaughter and it made its way to their Wikipedia page or their villains wiki page. To the villains wiki. That is one of their crimes, yes. It's really interesting if you go to the villains wiki on gremlins because the uh, cover photo you get is this like very uh, beautifully rendered sort of nefarious gargoyle-ish looking fellow, this little imp. Um, and then he's holding a monkey wrench, which I love. He's got some tinkering to do. He do. Anyway, a gremlin, according to the Villains Wiki, is a mythological creature similar to a fairy or goblin which had their origins during the World Wars, in which they were said to cause havoc on aircraft, a trait which they have been continually given since their creation, though in time their destructive nature has come to include almost any type of technology. So, much as you earlier surmised, they do have this association with, uh, you know, causing mischief and, and mayhem, specifically having to do with technology aspects. Interestingly enough, um, we spent about 20 minutes trying to resolve some technology mishaps on my end, so who knows? Maybe the gremlins are, in fact, afoot. I was about to say, I think we invited danger into our space by doing an episode on gremlins when our did. show. I am sure I will come to regret this. But also, you know, mm -hmm. I come bearing a lot of love for these weird little wacky guys, and I would love to sit down maybe over a cup of coffee or whatever it is the gremlins drink and um motor oil. Motor oil. <laughs> I don't know why that feels right, but it certainly does. And maybe just have a chat about why exactly they felt it necessary to take my blue yeti before it's time. Uh huh. Anyway, it is said that gremlins showed humanity how to create machinery. And I don't know who that's said by, because it just says it is said, and then I've not seen that literally anywhere it's else. It's said, Alex. But it is said that gremlins showed humanity how to create machinery, leading humanity to invention boom and industrial revolution. But humans showed these little creatures neither recognition nor acknowledgement. Angered by humans' ingratitude, gremlins from that point on would sometimes cause sabotage to man-made machines, leading to breakdowns and accidents sometimes with fatal results. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, right? Isn't that, like, super wild? <laughs> it's a really interesting origin story, and I kind of wish that showed up in more places. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that I endorse violence uh, or causing any sort of mechanical malfunctions that might lead to people being hurt. But I will say, as someone who has provided a lot of, like, free education to people in the past on things, like, as someone who's, like, say, I don't know, helped exes uh, learn how to um, develop, like, getting into a voiceover career or uh, helped give, give writing notes on screenplays without any compensation, only to be ignored and have a, the person that I helped out pretend that they made these advancements on their own. I'm not saying I I'm not saying I endorse it. I'm not saying I support it. I'm saying that I get it. I'm having like violent flashbacks. <laughs> oh no, Alex, I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. Um, I was thinking about a I was thinking about a person whom Stai helped develop. Oh, I, a I know. Um 
Anyway, I I have to say I do love a villain, or in this case, villains with a motivation. I think it's an excellent choice on the part of whoever devised this character choice for the gremlins to include that piece of inciting action. I think it genuinely makes them much more fascinating and complex. I do not know that it was earned, but it is uh, very different to go from like, ah, these mischievous little imps that the aircraft pilots are going to blame for their mishaps to like benevolent species that showed humanity the pathway to industrial revolution and then were shunned. <laughs> and now they must punish us for our <laughs> and ingratitude. Now we must pay for the hubris. <laughs> Oh, and they set our wax wings ablaze and we plunge into the ocean. I want you to keep that mental image as we go forward. Okay. <laughs> the origin of the modern term gremlin is disputed, but is often said to derive from the old English word grim, which means to vex or annoy. Gremlins probably have roots in the old folklore of goblins and fairies. Physical descriptions of gremlins vary. They are described as being little humanoid elves wearing red or green double-breasted frock coats, hats with feathers, and pointy shoes. As they plunge humanity into a dark age for their ingratitude. Also, that so thoroughly doesn't align with either of the depictions we've seen so far. Either the movie depiction, which had them as like kind of little uh, reptilian scaly creatures, Mm -hmm. Or as um, the, you said, gargoyle-looking depiction. (laughs) Yep. Apparently they're just fancy little gentlemen. (laughs) Fancy little guys. The skin colors range anywhere between green, gold, pink, or red. I don't know. Okay. Other depictions from different people give gremlins a more sinister appearance. They look feral, have hairy bodies, large pointy ears, glowing red eyes, and horns. More reports describe gremlins as having nude gray skins, somewhat reptilian in, ex- in appearance, and having big mouths with sharp teeth. There we go. That's the that's the film. Just that's the film. There had been about. reports that say gremlins look like jackrabbits, bull terriers, or some combination of both. Oh, that sounds cute. In some cases, they are reported to be composed of mists or smokes. Some accounts mention gremlins having merfolk features such as webbed hands and feet or fins. Some reports say gremlins possess bat-like wings. Size descriptions also vary. So choose your own adventure, okay? (laughs) Basically, gremlins are said to be anywhere between a mere six inches tall all the way up to three feet in height. Sure. In some cases, they are said to have big feet with suctions on their soles, or even leather shoes with hooks, both of which would enable gremlins to walk about or to hang upside down on the outside of aircraft. Okay. I've grown numb to this very quickly. (laughs) To this, like, horrible character creation engine I've proposed for you? Yes, to the fact that essentially, like, folklorists said to gremlins... What are you? Gremlin said, I'm whatever you want me to be. Cue up any episode of Monster Factory, and the creature design inevitably falls into some description of Gremlin that we have just come come across. Make a randomized sim and let it wreak havoc on an airplane, I guess. Go to any vaguely fantasy-adjacent MMORPG, randomize a boy, it's a Gremlin. I did have to Google Bull Terriers to remind myself which dog... Mm-hmm. It was, and I'm very happy to see that it's the dog from the, uh, I'm sorry, my brain's been poisoned by capitalism. It's the Target dog. The Target dog. Yep. So that mixed with the jackrabbit sounds real cute. I don't know how they have with those traits, the dexterity in their little paws to 
mess with technology. No idea. But if they're telepathic, perhaps they use some sort of brain power. (laughs) Imagine a little bull terrier jackrabbit that's responsible for multiple counts of manslaughter and also a folk uprising against the humans who stole their blessed knowledge. (laughs) I'm just picturing a little doggy with a little, little wrench in his mouth. Uh, would you like to know something? Uh, would you like to know an even more wild sentence? You never have to ask me that. You can always just tell me. <laughs> Gremlins during World War One and World War Two were thought at one point to have sympathies toward Axis and Central Powers. No! But then the Axis and Central Powers had similar and equally inexplicable mechanical problems in their military machines, hinting okay, that good. Gremlins are equal opportunity tricksters, apparently taking no sides in the conflict and acting out their mischief from their own self-interest. Now here's the thing, Gremlins. <sighs> If you are neutral in sides of injustice, then you have chosen the side of the oppressor. But I do respect that at least you were not straight up Nazi sympathizers. I was going to say, are we going to, th- please don't tell me we're going to have to spend part of this podcast dissecting Gremlins' fascist political leanings. <laughs> no, the Gremlins regrettably are libertarian. <laughs> They're radical centrists. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so that is some of the more truly buckwild information I have for you on Gremlins. I'd like to sort of dial it back a little bit and talk more mm-hmm. about the 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 chief canon of Gremlins, as it were, where most of the information sort yes. of lives and lies. Can I take a brief tangent just really, really quick? Please do. It would not be this show without it. Yes, correct. Um, you said that some of the variations, they have like little suction cup feet. Uh, yes. Yes. I, okay. Isn't that truly troubling? It's really troubling, but what it reminds me of is like a more like kind of a cartoon trope of like the spy with like suction cups, suction cups on their hands and feet climbing, like scaling the wall of a building. I love and that. I need to talk about something that's been on my mind. It's been weighing on me. It's been keeping me up at night a little bit, which this is not a joke. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, the suction cup on the hands and feet thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's it's like a cartoon trope, so it doesn't have to make that much logical sense but if it's a strong enough suction to hold the weight of a human body to then how do they easily pull it off and yes yes so actually there there would be an answer to that which would be uh to do with and i don't i don't know that it would be possible for a suction cup to necessarily work in this way specifically but um it would have to do with the application of that force where you know if it were pulling perpendicular to the suction it wouldn't pull it off like if somebody like had suctioned it to the building and then were hanging from it so the weight was applied entirely downward instead of out Mm -hmm. uh then it would stick a certain way but if you like went to pull it straight out that application of force could remove it more easily like that is sometimes true of how these things work have you seen those coffee cups that like are supposed to be quote-unquote impossible to knock over and like if you hit them from the side uh they don't move but if you like just pick them straight up they do Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like that. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Exactly. <laughs> I've never seen a weeble. I don't know what they look like. I know that they wobble, but do not well, fall down. Well, they're between six inches and three feet in height. They could be scaly and gray and have merfolk appearances. Or they- No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm not going to Google a weeble right now because I'd like the image to remain unsullied in my mind's eye. Um, and son, I'm just going to let you tell me whatever the next thing you wanted to tell me was. <laughs> cool. I love that. Um, so... The term gremlin 
in general when you're listening to it. This is the most famous sort of part of the folklore, and I think what most people would be familiar with from a folkloric context. But the term gremlin denotes specifically a mischievous creature that sabotaged aircraft. It originated with the Royal Air Force slang in the 1920s among the British pilots who were stationed primarily in Malta, the Middle East, and India. The earliest recorded printed use of the word gremlin was in a poem published in the journal Aeroplane in Malta on 10th April 1929. A lot of later sources have sometimes claimed that the concept goes back uh, further than that, but there's no print evidence of that. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so the origin of gremlins as we conceptualize them today is like this formalized idea of uh, technology-savvy little critters who like to mess things up for people. Yes. That specifically originated with aviators, with airmen. Uh, and they kind of have this like long-standing association with airmen specifically. The airmen would claim that the gremlins were responsible for sabotaging their aircraft. And so even though the the sort of like explanation that's come up, I think that's been reverse engineered after the fact, says that it's from this old English word like grim or gremian, mm-hmm. uh, which means like to vex or to annoy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's really no hard evidence on that fact. Again, there's, like, stories with similar little critters in Grimm's fairy tales, so there's some belief that maybe it's, like, a portmanteau of, like, Grimm and something else, you know? I mean Grimm and, like, Goblin or something? Yeah, 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 possibly. But since that sort of 1920 aviator uh, experience, there have been other references that correlate with that specifically. So that's sort of treated as the modern origin of the gremlin myth. There is a reference to the gremlin in a 1938 novel by aviator Pauline Gower, where she describes Scotland as gremlin country. Oh, hell yeah. Mystical and rugged territory where scissor-wielding gremlins cut the wires of biplanes when unsuspecting pilots were about. Yeah, there was an article by Hubert Griffith in a uh, journal called the Royal Air Force Journal in 18th April 1942, which also chronicled the appearance of gremlins, although that article stated that the stories had been in existence for several years. So that sort of establishes this little bit of a timeline for us. Interestingly enough, there were a bunch of, like, propaganda posters during World War II about gremlins. Of course. Uh, so that you would have all these posters that – they're really interesting. I've seen some. They're, like uh, – they're usually about um, safety precautions. Like there's one with gremlins like knocking over a little tub of grease and like like a, a service worker in the factory like slipping on it. And it says gremlins are floor greasers. Watch your step. Like back up our battle skies. Um, and there's one that's like encouraging people to, you know, wear the proper helmet or whatever. Like there's a whole bunch of these posters that sort of latched on to this idea of gremlins as these nefarious little critters causing problems and encouraged people to like be following proper safety precautions. Mm-hmm. Like double checking all of their flight equipment, um, and you know, making sure that all of your technology was operating correctly. So, really, kind of this interesting way that they co-opted this, uh, like this urban legend yeah. that had popped up, and and sort of used it for that for that reason. There's a lot Stay of Stay vigilant so the gremlins can't get you. Exactly. There's actually a lot of really interesting reading I was doing earlier um, and I'll try to find the exact article but basically the uh, hypothesis of this was that gremlins in many ways actually saved the morale of the Royal Air Force because you know, you started having all these inexplicable problems. There was a lot of new technology evolving specifically for this purpose and a lot of things were going wrong as any 
new piece of technology will do, especially when, you know, you're mass producing it and people are reliant on it and stress is really high and you're operating on little sleep and in like these tense conditions. But being able to project all of those blames onto the gremlins stopped them from blaming each other and kind of saved a lot of these groups from what probably would have been disastrous infighting. It makes sense. Like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. When you have a situation like that, nothing is more helpful than finding a common enemy. Yeah. And if that common enemy, especially like it's best when that common enemy is someone that isn't actually going to receive consequences. Yeah. And so it, it also became this thing where, you know, on the one hand, you did have people who like genuinely believed the gremlins were causing these problems. But even for people who didn't really make that leap to believing in it, there was sort of this agreement to blame it on those instead of looking for a reason to blame it on the other guy, you know? So yeah. it's kind of this expectation of like, you know what, maybe I did leave that screwdriver out and I messed you up and I'm, I'm sorry, like blame it on the gremlins. And then, you know, next time when I see you doing something stupid, like I will return the favor. I will also blame it on the gremlins. Like we're not gonna deal, like this is our unspoken agreement. This tension gets directed out and not in, which is really fascinating. I, I used to live in a, in a, I've talked about this on the show before. I used to live in a haunted dorm Haunted can be applied with, you can have air quotes around it or, or not, whatever you, you feel. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I lived there, the ghost that was like subject, there were two ghosts. Let me have this, everybody. Just let me talk about the haunted dorm. So there was the more like a malicious one. And that's not what I'm talking about. We had one that was like attached to the house as a whole, as opposed to one specific room. And we called her Carol. And the thing with Carol was basically like, if Carol was actually an entity in the house, she was pretty like benign. Mm-hmm. And was mainly just responsible for like little things going missing or little things like that. And I think for the same reason, obviously, much lower stakes than sure. like mechanical failures in in airplanes during a world war. But like when you have a lot of intense artist people or artsy people living in a house together, it's very good to have like a thing where if somebody's like songbook got moved from the dining room table or something got turned off or like someone used up all the hot water or like whatever. It's so much better to just be able to be like, oh, it's Carol. Yeah, it's really useful to externalize that. Definitely. Yeah, one year the RA of that house, because uh, it was like a dorm house. It wasn't like dorms. It was, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Colleges are weird. Um, one year the RA of the of the house had shirts made for everyone living in them. And this was during the height of the keep calm and blank meme. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Memory. Back when that was funny, and they all said, uh, keep calm and blame Carol. And I think <laughs> during this period of time, we were going to keep calm and blame the gremlins. Well, that's so funny. Doesn't that um, that meme originate from, like, British wartime propaganda posters? Yes! Anyway? So it really is, you know, it all comes back to the gremlins. Keep calm and gremlin on. <laughs> that's really interesting. So it's kind of funny that, like, that without knowing it, was actually, like, capitalizing on the exact same phenomenon that worked the first time around. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think the, orig- the origins of Keep Calm and Carry On explicitly were referring to the gremlins. No, but they weren't. But I know, I'm the just... same idea of, like, you know, this externalization of a concept in order to maintain control during a wartime, specifically in Britain. Absolutely. That may be where the similarities end, but it's interesting. No, it is. So um, a lot of the way that we 
picture or popularize gremlins today or even use the word as more of a widespread generic term is thanks to Roald Dahl, actually. So Roald Dahl is credited largely with getting the gremlins even known outside of the Royal Air Force. It was kind of like an in-joke for that specific group of people for a long time. Well, Dahl, of course, served in the Royal Air Force, and he became familiar with them there. But uh, in January 1942, he was transferred to Washington, D.C. as assistant air attaché at the British Embassy. It was there that he wrote his very first children's novel, The Gremlins. In that story, the gremlins, quote-unquote, were tiny men who lived on Royal Air Force fighters. In the same novel, Dahl expanded the lore by calling the wives of gremlins Fifnellas, Fifinellas, sorry, their male children Widgets, and their female children Flibbertigibbets. Flibbertigibbets! Uh-huh. That's the origin. So a Flibbertigibbet is the female child of a gremlin. That's me. That's me. <laughs> That's your new identity. That's now. what I am. I love that for you. Um, I am the male child of a gremlin is a widget. You said, uh huh, a widget. Um, the the sheer arrogance of whoever coined that term in its like current existence is like a computer term to name that a after technological app buddy to help you out. Yeah, the right? sheer arrogance of thinking that you could name that after the child of a gremlin and not bring any consequences onto yourself. Really interesting. Uh, Dahl, anyway, then showed the finished manuscript to a man named Sidney Bernstein, who was the head of the British Information Service, who came up with the idea to send it to Walt Disney. Okay. (laughs) As you do. The manuscript arrived in Disney's hands in July 1942, and he considered using it as material for a live-action slash-animated full-length feature film, offering Dahl a contract. Now, Addison, you're probably thinking, why have I never heard of this film? Well, it never made it to production. Yeah, because it didn't get made. Here's, uh, by the way, how poisoned my brain is. Uh, I don't know why, because you were talking about Disney, so there's no reason for my brain to have filled in this this gap. But as you started to say, a live-action slash animated film, my brain was immediately like, yes, a live-action slasher film. <laughs> Absolutely, a live-action live slasher, slasher film. film about gremlins. Created uh, by Walt Disney. the darkest thing that Dahl had ever written. Oh, absolutely not. I read a lot of Roald Dahl growing up. Anyway, the movie went through sort of a troubled production history. Uh, it was conceptually changed several times from like being a live action and animated feature film to being like a, a totally animated <laughs> film to being an animated series to being like a segment inside of something else anyway the film itself never got made mm-hmm. but the pre-production like stills and character designs did get printed and they got printed in a in actually the December 1942 issue of Cosmopolitan magazine Disney had the story printed what <laughs> I know, right? So at Dahl's urging, in early 1943, a revised version of the story, which was again titled The Gremlins, was published as a picture book by Random House. And then in 2006, it was updated and republished by Dark Horse Comics. Why not? That's amazing. I know, it's pretty wild. So the 1943 publication of The Gremlins uh, had a 50,000 print copy run. Dahl ordered 50 copies for himself as promotional material and handed them out to everyone he knew, including the British ambassador in Washington, Lord Halifax, and the U.S. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, who read it to her grandchildren. Sure. It's really interesting. Anyway, that's kind of what, like, 
kickstarted Dahl's popularity on a global scale. It was reviewed in major publications, Dahl was considered a writer of note, and he had appearances in Hollywood to follow up with the film project that then sort of like got him in touch with other people. The film project was reduced to a short and then canceled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, having had that attachment with Disney and the publicity that he gave, like it already really sort of reached its zenith. It didn't even have to get made to reach the cultural consciousness. Wow. Yeah. Really fascinating. <clears throat> so even though like Dahl was famously known as a fiction author, and obviously a lot of this was his own invention, it did sort of bring into the broader sphere the fact that many people in the Air Force swear that they actually had encounters with these creatures or saw them tinkering with equipment, like had actually seen gremlins. Oh. So there is this element, yeah, there is this element of, you know, the agreement to sort of project problems on these little critters. But there are people who actually claimed to have seen them in action. Now that I want to hear about because, and and I love that because I had kind of assumed that sighting wise, this would be pretty limited. And it is pretty limited. Okay. But there are a few. Yeah. So one crewman swore he saw one before an engine malfunction that caused his B-25 Mitchell bomber to rapidly lose altitude, forcing the aircraft to return to base. Uh, a folklorist whose last name is Hazen offers his own alleged eyewitness testimony of these creatures, which appeared in an academically praised and peer-reviewed publication. He described an occasion in which he found a parted cable which bore obvious tooth marks in spite of the fact that the break occurred in the most inaccessible part of the plane. And here's what I really love. This is the best part of this sighting. Okay. At this point, Hazen states he heard a gruff voice demand, how many times must you be told to obey orders and not tackle jobs you aren't qualified for? This is how it should be done. Upon which Hazen heard a musical twang and another cable was parted. So he actually is maybe the only person in history to overhear a senior gremlin criticizing a younger gremlin for his shoddy workmanship. Oh my god. See, I initially interpreted that as the gremlin stopping him from tackling <laughs> something he's not ready for. That's what I initially thought too, but no, I'm pretty sure the implication is like there was a chord that snapped and the folklorist heard this like voice saying like, no, that's completely wrong. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. Uh-huh. Oh my god, it was Gremlin training day. <laughs> I love it so much. Bring your widget to work day. Oh no. How many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> you don't bite cords in half like that. You do it like this. Yeah, idiot. Um Yeah, so obviously, like the scientific quote unquote explanation is that these people were under an enormous amount of stress and they were operating, you know, at extreme heights, uh, probably with reduced blood flow to the brain. So it's not entirely unusual that you would expect for a hallucination of some sort to happen, which brings me to my next point. Yes. If you are anything like me, you are a fan of The Twilight Zone, and I know you to be. If you are even more like me, your favorite episode of The Twilight Zone is actually gremlin-centric. Oh, um... Uh, b -b -b the, the, the Shatner one. 
Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Yes, the William Shatner episode of The Twilight Zone, later adapted into a segment of The Twilight Zone feature film uh, with a very similar outcome, and parodied about a million times in various other iterations of pop culture. It's one of the most iconic pieces of television of all time. If you are not uh, someone who is fortunate enough to grow up on watching old black and white episodes of The Twilight Zone, and you have not since rediscovered them on Netflix and made your loved ones participate in them, uh, then I really cannot recommend it enough. It's one of the most iconic episodes of the Was Twilight that autobiographical? Zone. Oh, extremely. Um, <laughs> okay. anyway, I thought it might be. It's one of the most iconic episodes of the Twilight Zone, and in turn, one of the most iconic episodes of like primetime television ever. You've probably seen riffs on it, even if you didn't know that what you were watching was a riff on it. The episode basically consists of a man who I believe is named like Bob Johnson or something very straightforward. It's something very generic and American. Something extremely sounding. generic. Played by William Shatner in his most generic prime. Um, <laughs> basically gets on a plane with his wife. And uh, from the get-go, we see that he's experiencing stress. He is like very clearly recovering from something. There are allusions made to the fact that he has recently had some sort of mental breakdown and I believe is now flying home. I think that's the the setup there. I don't know mm-hmm. how much of that is like directly stated and how much is alluded to, but that's the basic idea. And uh, he is seated in a window seat on like a wing seat specifically. And his wife asks him like, is this going to be okay? Do you need to move? And he's like, no, 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 it'll be fine. I'm totally fine. Because of course, it's like peak black and white television era primetime masculinity where the real enemy is the fact that men are not allowed to talk openly about their mental health. And that really mm-hmm. is sort of the plot of this particular Twilight Zone episode. But they get into the air. The weather's kind of bad. They're hitting some turbulence. William Shatner's character sees a creature on the wing of the plane, and it is starting to, like, tear into the wing of this plane. He kind of freaks out. He, of course, like, you know, turns his wife next to him and is like, hey, do you see this thing out here? And by the time he gets her attention and she looks out, the thing is gone. And this happens, like, three or four more times. It's increasingly stressful, and the lines get really blurred. You know, is he, in fact, seeing mm-hmm. things? Is he experiencing a psychotic break? Uh, the episode culminates in, like, him actually straight up shattering the plane window to try to get out and stop this thing that he's convinced he's seeing. Nobody else can see it, uh, and it's, like, a huge mess. They have to emergency land the plane. Um, and then the episode ends with this beautiful, beautiful shot of, like, him being sort of, you know, tranked and wheeled away and everyone kind of like oh my god this guy was completely crazy and you pull back and you see the plane wing and the plane wing is in fact partially destroyed so really really cool yeah it's an awesome episode of television oh that's that good stuff it's so good Uh uh-huh yeah it's a really really excellent episode but it's a a gremlin you know that's like it hits all the points Mm mm-hmm I don't remember what the monster design looks like in that episode I haven't seen it since I was a just full-blown child Oh, it's like a guy in a ghillie suit. <laughs> I thought it might be. I had this image in my head of like a human man with a pig nose. It is a the pig nose is from a different episode of Twilight Zone. No, no, I know it's from a different episode of Twilight Zone, but I also thought I remembered him having a pig nose in that one. It is kind of a snub nose. Okay, yeah, um, it, it's it's fully just a human man in a the closest weird suit. Thing, love that. The closest thing I've seen to that episode in recent years. Is or one of the many references to that episode is uh, this is such a specific thing, but I I love it. A movie that I love. It is very flawed. Oh, it is still one of my favorite movies. Is um, Bridesmaids. 
starring Kristen Wiig. Okay. There's I've an iconic. Seen it, but. It's fine. It's 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 a movie that you think is gonna be about like bridesmaids doing shenanigans, and it's partially about that, but it's largely about a female friendship and putting your life together uh, after depression. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but there's a scene in it, the iconic scene that everyone always references, where Kristen Wiig's character has taken something to relax on a plane because she is terrified of flying, and she takes mm-hmm. it with a whiskey and starts to kind of have like some adverse effects from that. Um, uh-huh. And first she does like the part that people love quoting where she like opens the curtain and she's like being really funny. And, like I'm ready at a party. But there's a part later in that scene where she like starts to freak out and she goes, there's a colonial woman on the wing of the plane. She's churning butter. Oh goodness. And that makes me, it's obviously very different, much more played for laughs, but like the thing on the wing of the plane and she like gets, ta- has to get removed from the plane by like oh, yeah. an air marshal. That's marshall. absolutely a reference to this episode. It is 100% a reference to Nightmare at 20,000 Feet and yeah. it is also one of my favorite sequences in a mainstream blockbuster comedy of all time. That's very good. I just checked the character's name is Bob Wilson, not Bob, Bob Wilson. Johnson, oh, that. thank you, Alex. Bob thank Wilson. you. We, we definitely yeah. would have been asked to correct that by all of the Twilight Zone heads out there. <laughs> Listen, you never know. Uh, anyway, so there's that episode, which is a 1963 episode of Twilight Zone, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Um, the 1993 Treehouse of Horror Halloween special <gasps> of The Simpsons yes! had an episode called Terror at Five and a Half Feet, mm-hmm. where a gremlin attempts to destroy the wheel of Bart Simpson's school bus. I remember seeing that one. It's very good. Oh, man. Remember when The Simpsons was good? Yeah, I remember when the Simpsons Sorry, episode in 1993. There is an episode of a show called Eek the Cat in 1994, which had an episode called The Eek's Files, which started out with Eek on an <laughs> aircraft beside a man claiming to see someone outside on the wing. Um, there was a Tiny Toon Adventures special in 1995, which had Babs Bunny presenting in a Rod Serling style in a segment named Gremlin on a Wing, which also parodied Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Babs Bunny's an icon. In the Johnny Bravo episode, The Man Who Cried Clown, which is a part of The Zone Where Normal Things Don't Happen Very Often Oh my god. Johnny sees an evil clown on the wing of the aircraft and is having difficulty convincing the pilots and anyone of its existence, which even include a cameo by someone resembling William Shatner, who quotes, Oh, no, you don't. I'm not falling for that again. This is so funny. This is so bold. I love that. At the end of episode nine of Muppets Tonight, Miss Piggy sees a gremlin outside of her airplane window. William Shatner is seen sitting next to her as he claims that he's been complaining about the gremlin for years, but nobody does anything about it. <laughs> oh my god. Mm-hmm. It's very good. I like that I I love that the Twilight Zone across the board has really cemented itself in the Zeitgeist, but specifically it's very fun to me that this episode hit people so well like so hard and just it just came at just the right time it really is again it's like it's iconic it's one of these episodes that even if you've never watched twilight zone even if you've never seen that episode of twilight zone even if you had no idea that existed you have almost definitely seen some piece of media that a writer used to pay homage to that episode yeah which is funny because as, as someone who grew up watching the twilight zone that's actually an episode that like i wouldn't have remembered if it weren't for the fact that there's so much reference to it. Like, yeah. I think it's a good episode, but it's not even in my top, it's not in my top 10, it's not even in my top five. 
So it's it, it's very wild to think that you never mm-hmm. know what piece of art or what piece of media people will really grab onto. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of things that made it work as an episode of television. And this is not a TV analysis podcast, but no, yeah. I, I mean, sometimes turn it into one. It's, it's anything um, we want it to be, just like the gremlin is anything <laughs> you want it to be. Wow, that's really amazing. Um, I'm going to loop back to this because I have a thought. But before yes. that, or just really quick, those are that's just a short list of pieces of media inspired by Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. But it, gremlins have showed up in other forms in like way more media than that. In uh, Bugs Bunny, Merry Melodies episodes from the 1940s. There's a 1944 romantic comedy called Johnny Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which had animated gremlins. Um, sure. There's some 1980s films in Madagascar Escape to Africa, 2008. Uh, there's a scene where Alex sees Mort, mistakes him for a gremlin, where he messes with the engine and falls off the aircraft. In the 2012 film Hotel Transylvania, the yes. building is filled with gremlins, among other monsters. It is. I remember that. Yeah. I liked that movie. I watched it in a hotel. Uh, there's a 1975 Doctor Who episode, which has a line about gremlins. There is, uh, let me see, there's an episode of American Dragon Jake Long that has, <gasps> yes, episode, there has is. gremlins in it. Mm-hmm. There's an episode of So Weird. There's an episode of Extreme Ghostbusters. There's an episode of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends no. titled Gordon and the Gremlin, where gremlins are blamed for Gordon's fire not lighting and problems with the turntable. I was going to say, there's something, they're not going to explore it the way that it deserves to be explored, but there is something about having gremlins on a show where your protagonists are sentient machinery that is harrowing. Oh, genuinely horrifying, yes. It absolutely had the potential to be a nightmare episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. Thomas the Tank Engine and body horror. Yeah, it's really wild. Um, anyway, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet is one of my favorite episodes of television ever. I really love it. And I... I do agree there there are better written episodes of the original Twilight Zone run, and there are ones that certainly plunge into some more interesting things. But for me, it's so fascinating to watch an episode of something from 1963 and, you know, credit where credit is due, William Shatner is kind of a monster. But yes, <laughs> at that time, like in that episode, he really captures something in his performance that I don't see a lot, which is this really interesting portrayal of a person who like is simultaneously completely falling apart and also like bound and determined to prove to himself that he is not like it's a it's really kind of a masterclass in this weird like intimate strange panicked psychosis that's like unbelievable and Mm -hmm. the fact that you know this episode was written in 1963, and it's essentially about, like, a man being so afraid to cope with his mental health that he, like, it, it just, it's so fascinating, the mm-hmm. the way in which this happens in this, like, pressure cooker scenario that, I don't know, for me, it's an episode that I find extremely cathartic to watch, especially because of the way it ends. Right. Because, um... We've talked before briefly about the fact that, like, unreality gets me and this idea of, like, not being able to trust your own brain and being able to trust your own, like, perception of the things around you and, Mm -hmm. like, feeling like this thing is so, so, so wrong and you are the only person who can see it and you know that you've seen it and every time you try to get somebody else to look at it, no one else can see it and it, like, freaks you out and to the point where you don't trust your brain anymore. But the fact that that episode always ends with, like, definitive proof that it did happen is so, so cathartic to me. yes. (laughs) 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in a way that, like, uh, every time I watch it, I'm like, yes, thank God. Also, somehow, like, not trying to give so too much credit just to this one episode of The Twilight Zone, but all I can think about now is just how much of some of my favorite horror of the last several years has been um, exploring very similar concepts of people who are mm-hmm. already struggling with their sense of reality and their sense of groundedness. Like, the the relationship between horror as a genre and mental illness is is a very fraught one. But oh, for totally. my personal take, obviously, when it really works, when those two things intersect, it and it works well, is when you your point of view character is experiencing the horror of not knowing if they can trust their own mind. And one of my favorite films of the last of the twenty first century is The Babadook, which yeah. is not saying it's deliberately pulled from Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, but thematically is a film about someone whose grasp of reality has been damaged ex- being tormented by something that they should that should not exist. Oh totally. And I think the reason that stuff like Nightmare at 20,000 Feet or The Babadook works is because you're not saying what's horrifying about this person is that they are insane. You're yes. saying like what's scary is that this person who unrelated to this event has dealt with you know, some sort of mental trauma, like again, Bob Wilson and Nightmare at 20,000 Feet is recovering from a major psychotic break. Like, we know this about him. That's already true. That's not the, that, like, that's not the horror that's happening in this episode. You know, there are pieces mm-hmm. of horror writing that would deal with like a person having a psychotic break as the element of terror. And that's not yes. the case in this episode. In this case, we have a man who is recovering from that, like pulling himself back together, trying to just start his life over again, and being confronted with something that forces him to question, like, whether or not he's properly dealt with any of that or whether he's going to be allowed to. And that is what is so fascinating. There's actually, I'm going to stop going off on these little rants here, but like recently I had the privilege to finally sit down and watch the 2018 like conclusion to the Halloween franchise. Mm -hmm. And I'm not like, I'm not a huge like classic slasher fan. Like they're fine. I've seen Friday the 13th. I've seen the original Halloween and I don't dislike them. I can respect what they did for the genre, but they're not like something I'm super engaged with. But the essentially like the the premise of Halloween the 2018 one sort of the wrap up is Jamie Lee Curtis as the original final girl of the Halloween franchise is now a woman in her like uh, like an older woman like uh in her like 60s she's Jamie her, like, Lee Curtis 60s. yeah yeah she's Jamie Lee Curtis who has been who her life has been ruled by fear and she is constantly being gaslit by the world around her telling her that like the fear that she has that Michael will come back for her at some point before like even though he's been in prison even though all these things that she is wrong that she is crazy that she is paranoid finally getting to face down the thing that has tormented her mentally for like decades and god that was satisfying i'm That's not awesome like, i love that that was and it was like essentially like it's literally like also it's three generations of women facing down this like monster that's shaped their entire lives it's her her daughter and her granddaughter Mm -hmm. and like the implication is that her relationship with her daughter is incredibly strained because she raised her in this like uh house full of booby traps and like she taught her how to shoot at like age 10 because she was like you need to know monsters are real something is going to come at some point in your life and try to kill you (laughs) um and it yeah literally ends with her realizing she handled her trauma in a way that negatively affected other people, but also getting the satisfaction of like, no, I was right. There is this thing to be afraid of. And then she, her daughter and her granddaughter all trap, sorry, spoilers for Halloween 2018, trap Michael in the house as it burns down. 
leaving wow. behind like the like symbols of her bad coping mechanisms, the things she was hiding from, and like basically just all of it. I feel like I don't even need to, to watch it. Just like hearing that synopsis of it, like delivers something very satisfying to me no, in a way so that I'm good. like, nice. No, it was so good. That's really, really excellent. Yeah, no, I mean, I, again, I, I don't need to go on this tangent before because we've talked a lot yeah. about the relationship right. to generational trauma and like terror and the ways that mental illness can shape like multiple lives um, and the importance of like catharsis and media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We've been down that road. We're here to talk about little guys who mess with planes. Um, yeah, that, any, that's really fascinating. And so gremlins in general... Mm-hmm. You know, to pretend this episode was about something. <laughs> it was. It was about it totally little was. men who mess with planes. Um, but anyway, I just found there to be an interesting correlation between uh, the weirdly tenacious hold that gremlins have on pop culture with the fact that they were kind of invented to serve that purpose in the first place. Like, and that's so yes. interesting to me. They're a one-size-fits-all little monster. Yeah, and everything from, like, the description of them to the uh, the nature of their uncertain abilities to their uh, their possible political alliances is <laughs> really, really fascinating. Um, I wish that I had been able to find more information on, like, actual real life basis for them and like more in-depth sightings um but that's just not the direction that you know the research and the conversation mm-hmm. took us today so maybe we'll come back to him at some point and we'll do it totally love to. take on cryptids i mean that's kind of the fun thing and that's actually something that i'm really looking forward to as we get into the rest of 2020 and uh you know hopefully the years beyond i'm really excited to start pulling back some of these ones that we've already done actually and getting a chance to sort of um dig a little deeper into them because yes. you know you I, you definitely know this when we sit down and do our and I use the term loosely research for the week sometimes I'll end up pulling you know 12 pages we'll get through three other times you know we'll go through everything that we talk about and sometimes you know we could read down an article and like go into detail about one aspect of it and there's so much else that's just a treasure trove that we don't get to explore and I think that even if without prep we came at the same thing again like we'd end up having a totally different conversation which is cool I like that about this sort of structure and format and I like that this is where the show has taken itself after all this time um if you dear listener would like to hear that happen more quickly or more often then you actually have a very easy avenue to make that happen because i think we are currently about 130 dollars away on patreon monthly goals from bringing the cryptid keeper back to a weekly podcast that was so smooth i can't even believe how smooth that was (laughs) yes so year of the moth check it out on our patreon Side note, I also just, I, I, not to like pull away from the very, very smooth transition you made to plugging our uh, Year of the Moth uh, <laughs> efforts, but I would be genuinely remiss and would not be able to live with myself if I let us get to the end of this episode without talking a little bit more about the film. Yeah, do it. And just saying that after all of this discussion, after learning that a gremlin can really just be anything, I think that it's reasonable to say that gremlins in that movie are both the cute, fuzzy incarnations there at the beginning and the scaly, much more extreme, (laughs) perhaps violent, uh, chaotic uh, entities they are later in the film. I would like to also say that my goal for 2020 is to enact the energy of the one, like, hot lady gremlin. You all know what I'm talking about. If you saw the movie, you know who I mean. She's the one wearing lipstick and a little leather jacket. Yeah, of course. We all know the hot lady gremlin. 
We all know the hot lady gremlin, okay? I want to embody that energy. And uh, also say that I'm already pretty much on my way there because I eat after midnight all the time. (laughs) Well, I would like to posit to you that maybe, like all of us, uh, you're right that the gremlins are both the best and worst of themselves. Oh my god. (laughs) And that's how we end it. The duality of man. The duality of gremlin. As explored by the feature film Gremlins. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Hey, remember in one of in in a scene in that movie when the the kid is like trying to fight all the like transformed gremlins and he straight up puts one in a blender? Um, I actually did not remember that, so thank you for that recovery. Oh, I'm sorry. Sort of horrible vision. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's all good. We're just gonna have to put a weird content warning for actually the whole Gremlins movie. <laughs> Yeah, actually, the thing about that movie is that it's not good for children. Content warning for gremlins. The protagonists are children, but it is not a child-friendly movie it in a really lot of ways. It really isn't. Yeah, it's kind of Stranger Things in that way, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. But also, like, maybe kids need stuff like that because it helps them uh, explore darker concepts. I don't know. We don't have time for this. It's it's We're 59 minutes in. I'm We've sorry. We've done I that got... conversation before. We have. We have. Um, what I'm saying is I, I like gremlins. I, I like them even more knowing more about them. I wish perhaps that they were a little bit less uh, responsible for the deaths of people, but I also respect their hustle. <laughs> what do they get out of it? What's the hustle? <laughs> the hustle is they're doing it for the mischief, Alex. <laughs> uh, much like the upcoming Loki TV series starring Owen Wilson. And now wow. we're full circle. Um, I will also say that I would really love to see more modern iterations of gremlins, perhaps in a less life-threatening capacity, but like being like whenever something uh whenever something bad happens uh in like a social media situation, or like if something goes wrong, like when your Skype call drops, or like when you when you screenshot a conversation <laughs> and you accidentally text it to the person to whose the conversation person you, screenshot you screenshotted. Yeah. That's a gremlin. That's a hundred percent a gremlin. A gremlin did that. Yep. When a YouTube influencer records themselves doing something really horrible and that accidentally makes it into the final cut of the video they upload, that's a gremlin. Well, now you've got me all turned around on gremlins again. I know, right? It's like maybe this is maybe maybe they're just dispensing divine justice now. I'm not saying they always have been, but I'm saying perhaps they've had a bit of this a shift must have over been the years. Exactly how the Royal Air Force pilots felt when they found out that the uh, the Axis powers were also having issues with their planes. Like, hmm. Yes. All right, gremlins. I I don't appreciate what you've done for me and my comrades, but I do respect that you are enacting it equally. And I respect, like, it's exactly, I don't love that they've hurt people who maybe didn't do anything wrong, but I do love that perhaps a gremlin was responsible for uh, the downfall of Logan Paul's career. Uh, I can't hear you. If it dropped our call in the last two minutes of the episode, I'm going to be so mad. Well, my phone just died. So here's the thing. Um, Hello. Hello. Hey, dude. Hmm, did you have some sort of technological issue? Oh, no, my phone died. I wonder who could be responsible for that. It's not cursed, it's just... We invoked them. So here's the thing. We had another technical issue toward the end of that episode. Uh, toward the end of the episode, my phone died. So I'd like to say to the gremlins... That was our dear guest saying, hey, popping in before the end. The gremlins said hello. They came to mess with our podcast. And we say thank you. And we understand. Appreciate the appearance. Wish you hadn't done that. Can't wait to hear what you do with all of our rival podcasts. Exactly. What are you going to do with... Tank. 
tank their audio. I'm not going to name a specific podcast. I'm really curious. I was really curious who you were about to name on air as our sworn enemy. Either it would be a joke that I'd be worried about actually hurting someone's feelings, or it would be a podcast I genuinely don't like, and then I'd get in trouble. So I need to to calm down and not say anything. Pretend to say something and we'll have Val bleep it out, even though there's nothing under it. Val, bleep this out right now. Oof. Yeah, no, that's a deep cut. I would agree that they are, in fact, Our sworn the enemy. Axis powers of podcasting. Horrible. Anyway, um, that's going to do it for us, I think. Thank you for joining us. I certainly I hope certainly so. hope so. <laughs> I hope the gremlins were merciful and these, this audio comes out usable. My God. But no, I think it's good. So, as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.